You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. Verses 5 through 8. For those who are in accord with the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who are in accord with the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Um, Welcome to Redemption Church. We are a community of Jesus who are pursuing connection and redemption through grace and sharing and exploration. Um, If you're new to redemption, you can head to redemptionhou.com slash today. We've got our scripture for the week there. We've got some announcements about what's going on in our community. There's also an I'm new button. If you click that, you can fill out some Uh, info. We'll connect with you later this week. We'd love to get to know you, hear your story. Alternatively, if you want to go analog, there's a piece of cardboard in front of you. You can grab that, fill it out, and drop it in the black box on your way out the door. So, So last week, we explored this idea that in Christ, God has broken into the world and freed us from this power of sin and death and is in the process, given us his spirit of life, and that this has radically freed us in a way that doesn't just impact our future, but it impacts our present. It impacts our lives today, here, and now. This morning, we're going to look at how we ought to live into this brave new world that Jesus has introduced. That Jesus, um, with Christmas and Easter, and both the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection, has broken open for us. And so because of this freedom and because of God's spirit given to us, we as Christians are a people of life and peace living in a world of sin and death. Right, so what Jesus has done for us has not magically all of a sudden fixed every problem and everything uh, that has or will ever happen which means that we are a people who exist in tension. Sometimes like willfully, because sometimes it would be a lot easier to retreat and go back to an older way of, uh, I don't know, nihilism. Nothing matters, we're all doomed, let's just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But in this tension, we remember that who we belong to 
that the, the one who has freed us is constantly by his spirit whispering over us, reminding us, assuring us that no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've seen, no matter what you're encountering, no matter what darkness you're facing right now, you are mine. You do not belong to sin. You do not belong to death. You belong to me. And this gives us some real, actual, tangible hope, not just like an optimism, not just some sort of like positive outlook on things. Well, really, this bad thing is actually a good thing, and here's why. No, 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 like in the midst of bad things, we can say this is a bad thing. This is dark. This is terrible. This is awful. And yet, God, dot, dot, dot. And so in the face of profound brokenness, we can be a people of hope. But before we look at how Jesus invites us to thrive in this tension, uh, we, we need to do some foundational work first. For many of us, there's, uh, right, we've been subtly taught and formed in such a way that we exist in this world that is bifurcated between the spiritual and the physical. There's a divide between the material world and the spiritual world. And we mistakenly have been taught to believe that what Jesus is offering us is solely and merely spiritual. That the good news of Jesus is a spiritual good news that has no ramifications for real life, for the material world, for the physicality of things. Despite the fact that year after year we celebrate Christmas. Where God takes on the material world upon himself. He becomes it in order to redeem it. And year after year, we celebrate Easter, the physical, actual, real, material, bodily resurrection of the incarnate Son of God. And in spite of this, the popular understanding of what Jesus has done for us is a spiritual thing. Jesus has saved our souls so that we can be whisked away to heaven to live with him forever and ever and ever. Well, maybe this doesn't matter, right? Here's why I would suggest that it does. We see this type of theology rearing its head when we're confronted with phrases like, just preach the gospel. When like real brokenness is trying to be confronted and dealt with, we hear uh, people of God dismissing that brokenness with, no, 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 what really matters is their souls. God doesn't care about the fact that they're starving to death. God doesn't care about the fact that they're being oppressed. God doesn't care about the fact that they have nowhere to live. What really matters is their soul. In this just preach the gospel mentality implies that the gospel has nothing to do with here and now and materiality. And the social and political injustices of our neighbors do not matter as long as their souls are saved. This is not a new idea. This is one that the church has confronted over and over and over and over again for its 2,000-ish years of history. And this was very much at play in Martin Luther King Jr.'s fight um, for civil rights in the 60s. As Dr. King fought for inclusion, dignity, and equality for himself and for his brown and black uh, brothers and sisters who looked like him and were being oppressed by him, what he heard from so many corners of the church was something along the lines of just preach the gospel. Know your place and worry about souls and not the physical world. 
So this morning, our brother in Christ, Dr. Dr. King, is helpful for us. Because Dr. King's story is the story of a pastor, a theologian, a Christian, who was also a civil rights activist. And those two worlds were not mutually exclusive. In fact, they were intrinsically bound up in one another. They cannot and should not be separated. It was, in fact, Dr. King's pastoral, theological, Christ-following vision and conviction that led him to be the activist that he was. He was deeply and profoundly moved and impacted by his Lord Jesus Christ. And his effectiveness was brought about by a real movement towards a real, actual, redemptive change in the world by the Spirit of God through the people of God. And so this dualism, this right spiritual and material, and they have nothing to do with one another, and God just cares about one and not the other, causes us to mishear our passage today. So when we look at Romans chapter 8, we get to verse 5, for those who are in, according, or who are in accord with the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. What we hear here is, hey, look, if you're worried about the physical world and you're setting your mind on the physical world, then somehow you are not pleasing God. We're outside of God's love. We're outside of God's mission in the world. And instead, what really actually matters is only spiritual. And so you should set your mind on spiritual things. But this is not at all what Romans is saying. And what happens is when we hear it this way, what we do is we turn to a gospel We turn from a gospel of God's good work in us to a gospel of our work for God. We hear this verse and we think, what do I need to do for God? I need to have a better quiet time. I need to pray more or more focused. I need to do X, Y, and Z in order to please God. I need to be better, do better, be more spiritual and less fleshly or moral. And a wedge is placed in our theological subconscious. And we put this burden on ourselves that Christ has never put on us. And we compartmentalize the work of Jesus. We begin to believe things like Jesus has done something for my soul, but he'll never do anything for my body. Jesus has done something for the souls of my neighbor, but he'll never do anything about their actual, real, physical situation. Jesus will give us spiritual riches, but he doesn't care about those who are living in poverty. And it was this dualism that Dr. King so profoundly and uniquely obliterates as his role as both preacher and civil rights activist. He believed that God is active not just in souls, but in bodies, in black bodies. And he worked towards liberation, renewal, and resurrection because he knew that that's who God was. So he joined the work of God. So then if flesh is not this moral idea, this uh, worldliness as we might call it, then what is Romans saying when it talks about the flesh? So the world of Romans is one where sin is like this power that exists in the world. Right, Not just bad behavior, not immoral choices, uh, but it's more like this imperial power. 
a good illustration for Romans' understanding of sin is go back to Exodus and think of the Israelites' plight as slaves to this empire, Egypt, and its chief uh, imperial dictator, Pharaoh. And, And Israel could do nothing to free themselves from their position, God had to dramatically and supernaturally intervene into their lives. This is exactly what Romans is talking about. And perhaps one of our most helpful metaphors for this is addiction. Right, so I don't know when this changed, but for a long time, unfortunately, we understood addiction as a moral choice. People just made bad decisions. And if they would just make different decisions, then they would no longer be addicted. And what we've come to find as, you know, hashtag science, is, wait, 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 hold on. Wait, people's brains are changing. Their their bodies are changing in such a way that I, I don't know that choice is really the best word here. There is something neurological going on that for the most part is outside of this person's control to the point that the medical community now almost exclusively calls substance abuse addiction a disease. Not a moral failing. Not bad decisions. But something that someone has become somewhat powerless to. So then the world of the flesh, in a similar way, reminds us that there is this reality that we live in and under. That we are both enslaved to sin and death and willing participants of perpetuating sin and death, both in the world around us and in our own souls. This is what Romans is talking about when it talks about the flesh. And so when he says, hey, those who uh, set their minds on things of the flesh, those who live in this way of the world that is fleshly, that is sin and death, they dot, 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 right? And so the flesh is our whole selves, mind, body, soul, atoms, chemicals in our brain, all of us, under the imposing influence of sin and death. And at the same time it oppresses us, we willingly participate in it and give ourselves over to it. This is Romans' picture of the flesh. The author of Romans goes through this great length to describe this in chapter 7. And so the question that we ought to be asking is exactly the right question. Wait, so then what do we do? Like, uh, hold on a second, this sounds pretty dire. Uh, You're saying I don't have much of a say in this. What am I supposed to do? Well, our way out personally, right, much like an addict, is not just, hey, make better choices. Morality or religion are not the answers to this power. So there's this really interesting story of how Dr. King became Dr. King. And it's fascinating because a lot of the blindness of the Southern theological seminaries to racism, right? So Dr. King didn't go to a Southern theological seminary largely because they were segregated. 
And so instead, he went to seminaries in the north that weren't segregated, but that taught a more liberal theology. So there's this whole conflict going on in the theological world uh, during this time where those who believe like the Bible's literal and we should take this from it and those that were like, ah, I don't know, science and some things and maybe the supernatural isn't really, right? And so what happens is King, who grows up in this world of like Pentecostal, supernatural, Bible-believing, like that's his Christian upbringing, is now receiving this theologically liberal education that cares about bodies, And what the South did when they rejected one of Christendom's best preachers ever is they sent King off to become the very thing they feared. In their rejection of him, Dr. King began to realize, wait a second, the Spirit of God actually cares about people and bodies. Right, see, my point is this. The religion of the South the religion of the, the segregated, racist church in America was blind and powerless to overcome its own sin. And yet God, through the voice of the oppressed, brought freedom into the world. Not a perfect freedom, not a final freedom, though we're getting there a move in the right direction. Our religion and our morality is not the answer. The spirit of the living God is the answer. And so Paul continues in the second half of verse five, but those who are in accord with the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. And so much like the addict's who recognize and express very early on in the various AA groups, we need a higher power. We need something outside of ourselves to intervene on our behalf. We need God to do something that we can't do for ourselves or won't do for ourselves. And this is exactly what we mean when we use this word grace. It's divine intervention. It's supernatural Love, it is God working on and towards our good regardless of what we've done. And so what the author of Romans here is saying, hey, when uh, the, this phrase, set your mind, right? we hear this and we're like, oh, think about. And it's kind of think about, um, but it's broader than that. It's, more, it's like see yourself as living in this type of world. Have this type of outlook on the world versus this type of outlook on the world. And so last week we talked about how what, what Jesus has done for us is he has cracked open this new world that is rushing into the old one so that we have become new people, reborn, resurrected in some sense. And so now the second thing that he's going to say is, so like, consider yourself as like a part of that. Have the outlook of that, not the outlook of the old way. Well, what does that actually look like? It means surrendering and following God's work in and around us. Giving ourselves over to the Spirit of God rather than white-knuckling things. Pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps trying harder, or doing better. Um, For me personally, this is honestly why I'm a Christian. It's why I believe in Jesus. 
That's why I stake my life on him. Um, I think as a pastor, there are some weird assumptions about who you are and what you do and what you're like. Um, I think most of y'all know me well enough to know that probably none of those assumptions are true. Um, But I carry with me a profound sense of, hey, Brandon, you are not enough. You're good enough, you're smart enough, you're spiritual enough, you'll pray enough. And this voice is constantly in my head. You're not enough. Not enough. It's not good enough. Even when I, um, so I did this like, uh, my story's kind of strange. I, around the age of 21, got really serious about Jesus and like basically just disappeared off the face of the earth and started doing Bethmore Bible studies in my bedroom by myself instead of hanging out with my friends. Right, very strange thing for a 21-year-old man to do. Um, <laughs> a woman's heart, God's dwelling place. Like that was my, that was, that's a real one. That's one of them, yeah. Shortly after that, I, like, I had this sense of like, hey, I, w- I want to go into full-time ministry, um, and so I joined this internship, and here I was, like this like, mess of a human being, and like, <laughs> no illusions that I was anything other than this mess of a human being, and I remember I was surrounded by all these people that were like, yeah, I've known I'm going to be a pastor since I was like six, and I've gone to seminary, and I've got this education and that education, and I've been doing this for my church and that church, and I've already served as an associate pastor, and they're like... 20 years old, I'm like, whoa, it's intense. Um, I did a Beth Moore Bible study last week, so, right. Well, and this is like in a crowd, like, well, we don't even know if she's really a Christian, right? And so I'm literally laying in my, like, we have this, like, bunk bed situation in this intern house, and I'm literally laying there going, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. This was 20 years ago, and I find myself today still laying in bed going, God, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. I'm not good enough to do this, to stand up in front of y'all and say things about God to you, to lead you, to serve you, to... Pray for and with you. What encourages me is who Jesus is, who Jesus has called me as your pastor to be, because it's the same exact thing that he's called each and every one of us to. I don't need you to be enough because I'm enough. I don't need you to have it all together because I'm putting you back together. I don't need you to love me enough because I will love you enough for you. I don't care. I am yours and you are mine. And so I, my job as a pastor is to remind you fairly regularly that I am just like you. I struggle, I fail, I make mistakes, and I wrestle with a ton of insecurity, a fear of, my God, what are they going to think? Maybe I should get a different job. (laughs) 
how does setting your mind on the Spirit help with any of this? It doesn't change it. In 20 years, I still have so much of this self-doubt and this insecurity and this sense of not being enough, but what I am clinging to and hoping in is what Jesus is doing in me and around me, and I see him doing so many beautiful things in you. And I'm reminded I don't need to be enough. God is working in spite of me. God is working through you. Romans goes on. In verse 6, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. Uh, That sounds really like, right, this is like a really obvious statement. Um. Right, so if, if the world of flesh is this world controlled by sin and death, if I'm like buying into that and enjoying that and participating that and perpetuating that, then like by default, I have set myself against the God of goodness and life, right? If I live in a world of sin and death, of course, I cannot please God. I cannot work in a way that is building what God wants to be built in the world. And so the way of flesh is this way of participating in the destruction and the violation of the cosmos, a way that elevates and preserves self, where I am at the center of the universe and God is peripheral. And I think that works its way out in a number of different ways for each and every one of us. But I think in general, that's kind of the gist but the way of God is the way of life. I think sometimes we hear this like, hey, put God at the center of your universe because he demands it, or put God at the center of your universe or else, when in reality it's put God at the center of your universe because that's where healing and wholeness and love and embrace and flourishing will happen. There's a line from the movie that I've referenced at least once a month. Um, The Tree of Life, the very beginning. And it's a line that I cling to because I so deeply believe it. No one who ever loves the way of grace comes to a bad end. Right? When I hear that, I hear no one who clings to Jesus comes to a bad end. We can never, by means of chaos and destruction and selfishness and self-preservation and self-centeredness, bring about peace and life into the world. It's not going to happen. It's not going to bring peace and life into our own souls, even though it might feel like it in the moment. I like the way that Eugene Peterson translates this section of Romans. And if you know me well enough, you're like, ooh, shocker, a Eugene Peterson reference. But listen to this. This is his translation, the message of uh, this section. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never actually get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust in God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living, breathing. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, 
free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. And that person ignores who God is and what God is doing. And God doesn't like being ignored. (laughs) I'll close with this. What Dr. King believed, even though it was de-emphasized some by some of the liberal theological training that he had, it was still there. It was still driving him. It was still underneath so much of what he was doing. And it was this idea that God was involved in driving the work of the liberation of black Americans. That there was something about who Jesus is and was and what Jesus was going about doing that compelled Dr. King to enter this work. Not as a perfect man, but as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. He believed deeply that the world of sin and death is not conquered by our flesh, but by the Spirit of God. So this means that while the Spirit does in fact use us to transform His world, we are not its transformers. And so we do not dictate or determine the outcomes, but instead faithfully offer ourselves willingly and openly to the work of the Holy Spirit in the context in which we live, because there's plenty of death. There's plenty of sin. There's plenty of the old way of things still at work in our own hearts, in the hearts of our neighbors, in the lives of the people around us. So instead, we give way to God's activity of resurrection, of renewal. We yield to it, surrender to it, as we seek to follow the only one we ever could, Jesus. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor, or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.